Action Park Media. All right, welcome to Ramble on the uh, the official podcast of the unofficial television show. We've been gone for a while. I'm Doug Allen. Ted Foxman. And, you know, <laughs> we have, I mean, while this world is seemed to be frozen because I get DMs and I'm sure you do too. What's going on in this and that? It, it's like I'm I'm living entourage life with this show behind the scenes of the show that doesn't currently exist at the moment, although it does exist because we made a pilot and people always ask, it does exist. What happens with a show? You know, I've got people asking me what happens with the Thierry Henry soccer show. So again, we're still as amazing as it is. We're still ahead of the entourage pace of startup to actually uh, filming something. So we're still ahead, but um, let's... That took you, what, two years with HBO? Over two years. From, I mean, over two years from the moment that we sat down and first conceived of the idea to the moment we got on the set of a pilot till when it aired was close to three years. And did you go through like a, like, I'm sure you've discussed this on Victory, but like, did you go through like a formal pitch process where you sat down, told them your idea and they oh, went, yeah, yeah. good, we're going to go with that? Yeah. And and, I have, and it still took two years from that that point. Yeah. And I have talked about that before, but I, uh, we went into HBO. It was um, myself, uh, Lev, um, Ari Emanuel, and uh, my agent, Jeff Jacobs at the time, who I, at the time had written the script as, Oh, Jeremy Pippen was playing Jeff Jacobs because I'd never heard of Ari until that meeting. Um, and when we pitched it and they bought it in the room and again, nothing to do with me because Ari really took over the meeting and, and they said, yeah, we'll buy it. Uh, I thought we had made it in Hollywood and we walked out of there, Lev and I, and it was like that scene in Vanilla Sky where the whole world was empty and we ruled the universe. <laughs> and it meant nothing. I mean, it meant I was getting $50,000 over three years to write a script that they would uh, note and note and note and note until finally I think they just gave in because, you know, the truth is, and I, I, I say this about any show because it happens all the time, whether it's Mad Men that HBO passed on, um, or uh, the affair HBO passed on, N uh, many, many others. Seinfeld, which was almost canceled. You only need one person to fight that fight, and Chris Albrecht was the only person at HBO that won an entourage on the air. So um, they kept letting me write and write and write against all WGA rules. <laughs> I must have done 400 drafts, and again, we've talked about this before. But the amount of times that I thought the show was dead... Um, we're, in, we're, we're many, 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 many. And you grind and you grind and you grind. Uh, that was a little different story than this because this show, um, which we've talked about before, 97% of the people that see this pilot really, really like it. I, you know, we've gotten a couple of people like, yeah, you know, but for the most part, people really like it. And currently, where are we? Which is, it's, it's so wild because there's a strike. So I'm not really allowed to talk to people. So Ted has talked to people, and I don't want to mention whoever anybody is, but we have an offer. It's a lowball offer to go do this show. I'm not even sure we could do it for that, um, but we do have a lowball offer to go make something if the strike ever ends, by the way, because we can't make anything right now. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, I have said it from the beginning, and I said it. It's the reason why I said yes to getting involved in the beginning. I believe in this thing. It's great. It's got extremely relevant topics about vulnerability and second chapters and starting overs and the world changing around you and 
thinking one day you had everything figured out and the world's by the balls to the next day going, I don't know which end of the stick to grab. And that is extremely relevant for people. And if I saw a show like that on TV, I would watch it. I'd watch it from the first episode to the last episode. I probably wouldn't take a break in between. Yeah. Um, and I would be waiting for the next one. Yeah. So I believe in that. So I don't really want to get involved in people's low ball versions of it because that to me, that denigrates the value that we already have. Yeah. It's so it's so wildly frustrating because when you have a script, which when I had the Entourage script, we all thought it was really good. But you still, you don't have Piven. You don't have Dylan. You don't have Connolly yet. So you're just imagining how good it could be. We have all the guys and everyone top to bottom on the pilot crushed it. Yep. They did great. And as I try to say to everybody, a pilot is hopefully, if your show goes five years. A pilot is one tiny little chapter in a long story. Um, but that being said, um, I guess some of the things that I want to express on, on this podcast, um, which just so you know, so I'm going to go back. I'm going to let's, let me just get into podcasting for half a second, which I think Ted, you know, you alluded to it a minute ago. I think like the show purpose is a very important thing in life. It's having something that you wake up to and really feel good about. If it makes you money, obviously, that is, you know, then you're really in good shape. And yeah. I, I know Flamingo Kid didn't invent this, but I remember one of my favorite movies that had a big in, in influence on Entourage, but one of my favorite movies with Matt Dillon, um, he says, find the thing you love and find the thing you're good at. And if they happen to be the same thing, that life is great. You know, if they're not, then, you know, you're, you're fighting the fights. And we've seen it in any fantasy world that you could see. There's been NBA players who don't love playing NBA basketball. Yeah. And, they, and they'd rather go do something else. Uh, Brian Williams from the Bulls, if anyone remembers him. I know you yeah. do. Um, who, who was tragically killed by his brother. But he had like a $100 million contract. He just never loved basketball. So yeah. I actually love doing this. Um, and it, and the podcasting or the writing or the pod, no, 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 I don't, I, I love, I, you know, you know me with the writing. I never loved the writing. I love being on the set. I love being with the right group of people like we were on the, on this pilot. Yeah. Um, but, but the writing process has never been a joy for me. This is like, I just like it. And the best thing about that, which is where victory started from the beginning, it was never supposed to make us money. And I n never had any deal with, with Connolly about doing that. I just said, let's do it. See if we enjoy it. And if we do great and, and it was enjoyable. Um, and now, you know, it started building into something that could really turn into something that we could make money on. But, you know, I, I don't think those guys are, I don't think they like it as much as I do. And that's fine. You know, so I'm going to do whatever Hollywood ways. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know who's going to listen. The truth is it really doesn't matter because like I said, I come here and I feel like I'm doing a radio show and it gives me a nice, nice couple hours of the week to, uh, you know, to vent whatever I'm venting. Um, Have but you the, figured out who your Robin Quivers is? or No, no. I don't even know. I may just fucking go alone and just talk. I, okay. I, I don't know. And then this podcast, if the show ever does go, we'll come back in some way. The plan always was for me was that Charlie Sheen would have a podcast called Charlie Sheen's Ramble On, which he would have on the show as well. Yep. And uh, if Charlie wanted me to be on the show or you to be on the show, great. And if he wanted to do it with Martin or anybody else, he could do that. So, so that was the plan. But, um, you know, the frustration with this show right now is I, I just, people really like it. And we have this amazing trailer that I know. Um, I also want to just, there's someone who keeps writing these nasty things about me online, which is really like annoying. And they, and they say I should, I should just in general. 
Well, they talk about the show. I should give you your money back, and I suckered you into a thing. So I really, I want to talk about the process um, of, of how. I really told my mom to use an, an anonymous <laughs> source, so I, I'm really sorry about that. But and by the way, just for clarity's sake, I'm into this, you know, thing for thirty grand, twenty grand in cash, plus you know, obviously writing a script for free, which is fine, as well as directing for free, but. I just want you to explain how this went down so everybody understands. This wasn't like, hey, Ted, I really want to come over to you and present you a project, and I really want to take your money and, and see what goes on. That's that's not how this, this show went down. So as you recall it, like, how did we get this thing going, and how did you decide to write, uh, uh, you know, a big check? Huh. <laughs> it's, all, it's all very foggy. Is it foggy? Um, I mean, look, you and I we probably spent four days a week together, either having breakfast, having lunch, whatever. Um, and during that time, and this is, I actually think it's pre-COVID maybe. Um, well, certainly we were doing that pre-COVID, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you brought me into the original uh, Action Park to sit down with Kevin and see if there was anything that could be done. You thought that there was potential in the studio itself. Um, and, and I don't know what else you may have had as a motivation, but that, that, that happens. And we, we, um, it all goes back to that. So <laughs> we, uh, we had lunch and then afterwards came over and I don't remember if you were doing a victory episode at that time, but you brought me into the office. I met with Kevin. I said, Hey, I think you've got something interesting here afterwards. Um, Kevin didn't follow up and we, we didn't end up doing anything, but in witnessing what I saw that day, even just in the probably hour and a half or two hours I was there, you and I started talking and you were like, this place is unbelievable. And I said, I agree. <laughs> I said, I can't believe they're not doing some sort of show here. And you were like, no, no, there, I think there is a show here. And over the next, whatever it was, six months, a year, we, you and I just talked almost three, four times a week at, oh, what could, what could this be? How could that be? You know, how do I get them to do this? How do I get them to do that? How can I m make sure that we capitalize on the situation we've got? And I think you just started seeding the, the thoughts of, oh, here's where, here's where I think I see this going. Yeah. Um, and I had always wanted to be involved, as you know, in, in, um, in some form of picture television, whether it's a feature or not. And, uh, and when we started talking, I was like, look, from an entrepreneur standpoint, which is where I view things, what are we waiting for? Like, do we have to sp spend the time going through this? And I, A, I don't know whether you need me for that, that part of the process, but um, it's going to take years. I had heard your stories about all the pitches you've made over the years and the places that it goes or doesn't go um, and how that progresses. And I just said, well, well, why are we waiting? Why don't we just figure out a way to do this? Yeah. So. And for, um, and for me, this... I don't remember a formal pitch, and certainly no PowerPoint was involved. In yeah, no, there, there really wasn't a pitch. And I was, you know, as I recall starting, I was going to finance a show with Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon before we, we had Charlie. Um, my thought was like, you know what? I got two Emmy-nominated actors. Let me go make a show. Um, I don't really know what it is, but something in this setting. And I was going to put up a few hundred thousand dollars, which no offense. I'm glad I didn't. But at, at one point you said, I really, really want to do this. And, and, and we did it. And we, again, we really did have a really great experience, which is so rare because even the entourage pilot, um, which I'm very happy with how it came out. It was, it was a torturous process. I mean, it was not 
enjoyable at all. It was a lot of people who didn't trust a lot of people. Uh, as you know, I was I was forced to hire like my boss who had to stand over and like oversee me and tell me. And then I had all the people at the studio who you know were telling me how much I sucked all the time. So it was it was a, it was a rough process. And even when it was done. Um, you know, we didn't think we were getting picked up. So we had to wait another three, four months while it was just sitting there going, is this going to happen? And then finally they picked it up. So for this, you know, one of the things that you hope you get out of an experience, which of course, everybody wants to make money and nobody wants to lose money, but you want to have, you want to have a life affirming experience. And, and for the moment, the tragedy of this show is, you know, besides the one jerk off writer that we've talked about before who who wanted to cause some problems on the show, we had such an incredible group of people that all got along, that all loved what we were doing and are all thrilled with the final product. Um, so, you know, you're just battling and battling. And I'll always say, you know, Unforgiven took 10 years and won 11 Oscars and All in the Family, which was one of the most successful sitcoms of all time and Seinfeld, both were almost canceled as was Cheers. So you keep you keep fighting the fights and you keep going. And um, I still believe there is a world where we're going to see this. But, you know, for me, we have this amazing trailer that everybody who sees it fucking freaks over. And I am like, I don't know what it'll do. By the way, I am not here to tell you that, oh, we stick it online and all of a sudden it's got 400 million views and everybody calls us and goes, oh, we'll give you whatever you want. But yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than your work not being seen. And, you know, I don't know if you know this story, which I always thought there was a good movie in this, and I'm blanking on her name, but she was the singer I saw on Nightline, and she never sold one record, and she died of cancer. And a DJ happened to hear her and loved her and put her on uh, the radio past her death. And she became huge. And I, it's, I'm frustrated that I, Scotty, I don't know if you can find this, or Scotty's even in the booth anymore. She, I think it was... Uh, <laughs> I think it was literally like over the rainbow or something from um, Wizard of Oz from Wizard of Oz that she did. And then she had a whole album, Eve, Eva, maybe something. But anyway, it's, huh. it's, it's a remarkable story. And there's many of artists that, you know, have left great works behind that were never appreciated till long after they were gone. So I don't want, you know, you to think that I think that's going to happen to you where uh, <laughs> you mean, uh, I, I just need to die. So this thing can kick off. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the answer is because I want everyone to understand Everybody goes, agents, can you get agents involved? We have had the head of the creative artist agency, loves this show, wants to make it, can't seem to get it done, even though we've had meetings with lots of people who like it. We've had the head of William Morris love this show and try to get it going. I mean, these are the Ari Emanuels of today. Obviously, Ari, who just you know bought WWE and has another $6 billion, doesn't really deal with this type of stuff anymore. But the guys at the top of those agencies, which are the biggest in the world that deal with this type of stuff, they love this show. They have invested their time and energy to try to get this thing going. And uh, I don't even know what the answer is anymore. But the weird thing is, is we've now gone these backdoor routes because the strike is on right now. So yeah. I can't actually talk to anybody who's involved with the, uh, no. with the studios that actually has an affiliation and a deal with the WGA. But what, who I have been able to talk to is money people behind the scenes. And those meetings have been straight out of freaking entourage. I mean, um, you and know, that, those were the meetings I was not involved in. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing is going as a normal show would go. Dave Perkle, who is my, genius uh, cinematographer and Gary Goldman, who is my awesome producer and Jeremy Alter. They've been doing, I, I don't do, I haven't done anything. Yeah. I did my job to the best of my ability 
And now they have a product and they've put me in touch with people and got me on calls with people. Some, you know, really interesting and successful people, but it all feels like some weird entourage episode because some of the shit that goes on on these calls is it's just bizarre. And you see how what kind of things are, are bizarre that have gone on on the calls. I, I mean, I don't one, think I've heard that. I mean, one guy doesn't show up on camera ever. He's just is like never on camera. And I keep I, for a while. I was like, is, does this guy actually exist? Because I didn't know what was happening. And his email address is like seven, 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 three, three, three at CCC D D D D D. So I'm like, what, who is this and what happened? <laughs> so finally they said, would you want to meet him live? I'm not even sure I wanted to meet him live, but I wanted to meet him live because I didn't understand what happened. I want to make sure I wasn't having some Manti Teo situation where yeah. this guy is not even real. But I'm on these calls with real people that I know their businesses and I know how much money they have, but they don't really understand what they're doing on the calls because the reality is, is nobody is financing $50 million worth of television without knowing where it's airing. It's just not happening. Like, so... While I've in, you know, uh, been willing to entertain all of these conversations, almost out of fun, um, I don't really know what the point to them was because I said from the get-go, this was never going to happen. Because even if you had whatever you think the greatest show is of all time, Sopranos barely got on the air. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. even if you handed me the Sopranos tomorrow and you said, hey, you want to put $50 million into this and make 10 episodes, anyone with a brain is going to go, well, who's going to air it? Right. You know, because I, I really don't want to, um, you know. Well, I guess I I didn't have a brain. Why? Why? Well, I financed it and didn't know who was No, there. totally different scenario. And again, obviously, it doesn't look great now. But I, I, I and you, I think when we started, obviously, it was like, okay, this is a risk. I think when we were finished with the pilot, neither of us imagined any universe where this wasn't going to sell. And the reactions that we got from people. So... You know, I, I I don't think you're a moron. And, and again, I believe, like I said, um, I've had plenty of people that I know have financed movies that are awful with awful experiences and awful outcomes. This was an incredible experience and, uh, you know, and, and a chance to get yourself into the business and decide whether you like it to meet a lot of people that actually are really working in this business. And, you know, it's also... It's, it's a great calling card to show what you produced and what you did. Again, obviously... We want to get the money back, you know, but that was never the goal. The goal was to really have a television show on the air, go spend our next five years making a show with people that we wanted to make it with. So, um, but going along with that, I would be getting my money back at that point. <laughs> of course, but I'm saying, no, I mean, look, we, we putting $50 million dollars in, in is going a big into difference. it. We didn't, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I say, we still don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's, I don't look at it like it's over. And I do look at it like it's a great finished product that, yeah somebody can can have a vision for and 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 decide to show it to an audience. I don't I don't really think it takes a lot of courage to do what we what we have presented people with. I don't yeah. think somebody goes, "Oh my god, how am I going to sell some of the biggest, you know, and most beloved actors and character actors yeah, on th- the planet." I, 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 I don't think I think, think we made something really good at at the right price and then the world goes. And that's why I said to you, to me the way if we just want to make sure we get our money back I believe we could turn this into a 90-minute independent film. I believe it could be a backdoor pilot. I've already written, you know, first three episodes of this, which with some alterations could be a a movie. And, you know, you see the independent movies that sell with, you know, that are that are absolutely unwatchable with horrible casts and stuff. So we we could do something good if it's simply about getting 
the money back. You know, what we wanted to do again and, and why I talk about purpose and how, you know, when you get to, you know, a slightly advanced age, you know, everything is not about making money. And again, that's completely separate from you getting your money back. It's believe yeah, yeah. Me, obviously we want to get your money back, but I think, you know, we, we could turn this into a 90 minute film. If we, if we went and got, you know, smart and went and did it the right way and included all of our actors and some back end participation of it. And, and, and I think we could do that and I think we could do it successful. And then if it works, you know, where people love it, then it's like, okay, this is a pilot, you know, this yeah. could be a TV show. So that, that, you know, that's one of my thoughts, but I, I just want to get this trailer out there because I don't think it hurts us in any way, shape or form. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, me personally, I have no reason uh, to not show the trailer. I, we, we've been advised that, you know, the trailer was made with people's known music product and, and that all the sites and places we would put that on have watch mechanisms that take that kind of stuff down and say it's violating, you know, copyright stuff. So yeah. we have not acquired the rights. Now, regardless of the fact that we're, we would be putting this up for free and not monetizing it anyway, um, I think people are just concerned that there's copyright violations and that it, it just won't go very far yeah, well, with I, that. I think we have to change the music, which, you know, it's never going to be you know, like that. It's never going to be ramble on no matter what great musicians. And I have, you know, I have a friend who's an awesome composer and, you know, and, and he can do rock versions of stuff, but it'll never be the stuff that's in that trailer like that. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and, you know, as you saw the reaction that the two live shows had in Phoenix to that trailer was like, you know, it's what you dream of, of having. If you put that in a theater and you get a reaction like that, you know, you have a hit movie. So that's, that's again, uh, part of the frustrations of it. So, um, so what do you think? I mean, what's your thought? What's the next move? What do you, you know, I mean, part of the, part of the dilemma right now is I think so much of the world we're trying to sell into is in total turmoil for forgetting the strikes that are happening. All of those companies are struggling to figure out what, what they're going to be when they grow up. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a year plus ago, Netflix had a very big reality when they started losing subscribers for the first time in their history and their stock got totally demolished for it. Um, and now all of the other groups that are, that are providing these platforms are finding ways of either, either merging with others or in discussions to merge with others, or they're simply just going to disappear. And I don't think people knew at the beginning of it that it was going to be so complicated, but you know, Netflix opened the door for the streaming, you know, element. And then everybody started flooding to it like any, any normal thing. And then bubbles burst, right? It was so, it was so wild because I mean, I was saying this five years ago and when they were releasing the Irishman, you know, and they were like, we don't care if it makes $1. We're not going to even put it in a theater for more than a week. We're just going to stick this $150 million movie on, on Netflix. And I'm like, maybe I'm just too stupid to understand the economics of this, but I don't get how this can keep going. And it hasn't. And, uh, you know, also, one of the things about getting into this business or any business, timing is a lot. And, you know, I will always say, you know, people go, oh, you're lucky. Entre-. Of course I was lucky. Anyone who gets a show on the air is lucky. Anyone who gets a hit show is lucky. And that doesn't mean it's not good. But there are a lot of good people who don't get that break yeah. and don't get lucky in every walk of life, you know? And I mean, looking at... uh you know, I'm just thinking about, I mean, he's obviously made a lot of money, but like even watching the football game last night, Nick Chubb, it's just like, like that, you know, his career, you know, things, things, could be over. things change on a and, dime for sure. And things change. So listen, one of the guys, you weren't involved in this discussion, but one of the guys that we pitched to 
absolutely loved the pilot, uh, loved the trailer, loved the the behind the scenes footage, um, and and loved where it was heading uh, or where we told him it was heading. Uh, he died. What happened? No, no, that was. Uh, <laughs> I think we had the call two two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, last week he was replaced. <laughs> By the way, we're not talking about somebody who's just a, a champion within a group. We're not talking about like, hey, I showed my friend's cousin who works over at Showtime. That That is not what happened. This was the head of content. Gone. And so that's why I say there's a lot at play right now yeah. that I think we're kind of just swirling around it and we got to just wait for the right time. You know, I mean, by the way, like so my career started one of the first features I wrote. I have a huge up and coming producer whose name I will not mention at the time. We're talking 30 years ago. And he reads this script. I don't know him. He's like, I love this. This is amazing. We're making this. Okay. He, and I, I hate to even bring this up, but uh, he ended up in a, in a drunk driving accident. Someone died and he went to jail and that was it. And, you know, horrible for my script and obviously the person that, that died. <laughs> but, but I mean, this is and kind of bad for the guy who's actually in jail. <laughs> of course. And, you know, and even when he came out though, he wanted to make, that movie after three to five, whatever it was, but he, but he had but less credibility he on had the street less credibility. And he, you know, and he's made some strong, by the way, he's one of the guys. And this is the stuff you deal with in this town. He, you, you remember this. He called me up after he saw this again, the amount of calls that we got on weekends, which does not happen in this business from people like this is amazing. So he, who's doing whatever he's doing now was like, this is amazing. He said, do not talk to anyone until I talk to my people. Okay. He called me again Sunday. I was like, there's no one to talk to. It's Sunday. He's like, I am buying this. We are making this on my life. What are we talking about? I haven't heard from him since that was five months ago. Now I've heard from other people. He's talking about ramble on, or you're talking about on. A, a script. The no, script no, that I'm you talking, wrote. I'm talking this, this is six months ago. You know, when I called you and said, this guy said they're buying this. Don't talk to anybody. He's buying it. His company is financed by a billionaire. He thinks it's fucking genius. And then I never heard from him again. And I want everyone to understand this isn't someone fucking with me. This is how this business works. Who knows what happened? He might've gone into work the next day and his producer or his money guy said, I'm not financing a fucking TV show right now, or who knows? But he never had the decency to even to, call you back to and call say, me hey, back and say, I just want to, you know, this was in progress, but yeah. And this is the frustrations you deal with. So when people talk about entourage, was it realistic? All of that stuff that I put in that show was really realistic and I'm living it all over again, which is it's wild. And, you know, I, I guess someone could have said, maybe you should have learned because as I've talked about on this podcast before, when you get into a, the pilot business with a studio, you start a real long-term relationship and they invest money, whether it's $10,000 or $400,000. And as soon as they write that first check, there's egos on the line. There's people who have to answer to people if it doesn't come out good and they have a reason to want it to succeed when you're, and again, I'm not making excuses for this show, but when you're walking in and going here, take it, or leave it, it's it's a different situation. And again, I still think, I mean, our meetings at, at Netflix, I mean, I had a two-hour meeting at Netflix. I, I don't understand. You know, we have a huge producer who's a good friend of ours who loves the show and, and wanted to co-finance it. And we met with everybody at Netflix. We, you know, you know when a pitch meeting goes well, that was one of the better pitch meetings I've ever had. And 
who it's like you say, who knows the strike was coming Their fi- their budgets were getting cut. I, I don't have an answer, but, um, it is frustrating. That's all I can tell you. And it's really frustrating to think I can't get anyone to see it because I just, I just want, you know, an audience to take a look. Well, he, you know, here's the only observation that I have as a result that I can say firmly, I think exists, uh, you know, where this is going to go. I don't know, but what I've observed so far is we're in this weird period where people have more of an agenda about who's involved or what that looks like versus what the product or what the art is expressing. So if I look at a situation and I say, is male vulnerability a big deal right now? It certainly hasn't been in the past. Male vulnerability was not a, was not a concept in the 1940s or 1960s. People put their chin up, went to work, lived a life. Even if they were unhappy with it, they never complained or, or if they did, nobody cared. Uh, today, I think a lot of people are realizing the burdens that come with being whoever they may be, whether you're a minority, whether you're a woman, uh, whether you're whether you're uh, a, a man dealing with all sorts of issues. The truth is, is that we're in a place right now where the art isn't going to be judged on its own. It's going to be, well, what else comes with it? Because that's what I'm really trying to create. And I think a lot of things might get lost in the shuffle. I don't know that ours is going to get lost in the shuffle, but... When when you're te- when you're telling a great story, but it doesn't have the face that you're looking to see, that 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 sort of notion of checking the boxes, and if it checks the box, it's good, and and I don't even judge it for what it's what its sort of value is. It's, to me, that's a weird place to be in, and yeah, I no, think we're I think we're in that vortex right now, and I don't know whether it's going to come out, and I don't know what we're going to look like when it's done. Yeah, it's it's definitely you know it, it obviously makes something harder if you don't fall into what's seemingly the the moment, but still. The world loves a comeback and Charlie Sheen's story. And I've said this before in this podcast, you know, the guy that you see in those videos with Diane Sawyer and doing the winning stuff. I don't know that person. I don't either. And he has been one of the great, generous, hardworking humans that I've ever worked with in my 30 years in this business. Yeah. Incredibly gracious. And to, to see him through his father's eyes and to get to spend time with a legend like Martin Sheen and seeing how good he is. And then, you know, a lot of people, whatever, whatever it's worth. A lot of people hate my guts for whatever fucking reason, but a lot of people understand that I, I see a lot of things before they happen, and I always have. And pickleball was one of them, and you see what's going on with that right now, which is crazy. But you know, the Ferrari movies coming out, which we yeah. wrote, we wrote the movie in, in the show years and years ago. But uh, I was writing this whole idea for Charlie, where he rekindles with uh, Chuck Lorre and makes Two and a Half Men. Yeah. And he had not spoken to Chuck in a decade. And then Chuck called him out of nowhere and asked him to do his HBO show, which Charlie did. And it's he's he's not the star of it, but he's got a nice, nice part that'll be coming out very soon. And I think the world is ready for the movie star, TV star, come back. Charlie Sheen to come back and to see him vulnerable. And I don't, when, when we say that, and I'm not saying that you said it like this, but I don't want anyone to think that this shows somehow soft. No, no. Johnny drama was the vulnerability of, of entourage. And he's got Kevin Dillon on this show is the heart and soul as well. But all of the guys are dealing with stuff that is, you know, trying to get them, uh, you know, pretty much what our life is, you know, I mean, it is, yeah, it, I think it's what anybody's life is. Yeah. So I guess we we keep grinding away and um, well the good news is is that you're you have been and I and I give you that credit you have been uh 
very sort of visionary in a lot of different things that have kind of come to life. And so if that means anything, then this show's going to happen. <laughs> Could be after I'm dead, though, which is fine. By Listen, the way. as long I as mean, you take care of my children. I will long. make sure that they get their cut and... Uh, <laughs> And you know, it really is what, by the way, what I said, and it would is, bum me out if that, if that happens, because cause <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Like the notion of, of people getting their due when they're gone, that that's to me, one of the saddest things. Oh yeah. I mean, by uh, the way, I have no interest. I mean, I don't like, I don't like seeing people underappreciated while they're alive. Yeah. And, and again, I don't, I don't want anyone to think I feel like I've been underappreciated, obviously, like I've been very fortunate, but you know, right now I, I am at that point where I want to do something productive and I want to do something that I enjoy doing. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see where that shakes out, but it is a, a really strange time in Hollywood. The strike, um, is still going. And I don't know, there doesn't seem to be much end in sight. And I'm yeah. seeing, you know, the big people are starting to, to wobble, whether it's Bill Maher or Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Um, and I know from behind the scenes, there's, you know, showrunners that are starting to, to wobble. And it's, you know, it's a very tough situation because the union has, you know, maybe every union is like this. I don't know, but you have union where there's people worth a hundred million dollars and unions where people don't have $5 in the bank and they, they're, you know, they're, they're fighting for the same things, but if yeah. the people with the real big money don't stay on the same page, ultimately it crashes and burns, you know? So, well, I mean, I remember I, when this started, like what May 1st, I think was the date. God, I don't know when, when that happened. They, there was talk that people were like, we think this is going to last till Labor Day. Like it's the whole summer. Yeah. And at the time I was like, God, that seems like forever. Well, Labor Day has come and gone. Yeah. Well, by the way, when they said that, and I told everybody my thoughts on it, Anyone who says it's going to be quick, I'm not saying it wasn't going to be. They don't know what the fuck they're talking yeah, it's about. Wishful thinking. It's like a war. And once it starts, right. egos get involved, just like anything else. And you don't know where it's going to go. Well, or... there's also leverage that has to be created because when you're trying to, you know, the reason why a strike is necessary is two people can't have a meeting of the minds and, and agree on something. Yeah. So one person who doesn't agree is going to see things one way and the other person is going to see it the other way. And, and to get what they want, it's about manipulation and leverage. That's yeah. like and that's any, why like any negotiation. That's why these waivers though kill me. And I don't know if they go on in other strikes, but I don't understand this at all. You why? mean that the you can you can still go do things? There's a couple of people who can still go do things. And and you know, again, I'm with the strike. I'm supporting it doesn't even change my life in any way because I wasn't working before and I wasn't working after. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not going to try to break the strike. Obviously, if we could get this going and someone gave us a waiver, yes, I would accept it, but I don't like it. And I think that, you know, you have this situation, you know, a friend of mine, uh, you know, Jeff Perlman, who did the podcast, like, you know, he's got winning time that yeah. he wrote and that they're, they're canceling, but you know, he can't even have the people out there promoting it. They're, um, they're canceling it. They're canceling it. So, and people really like it, you know, and, and, he can't, and I guess I'm not even supposed to talk about it, although it's canceled, so maybe it doesn't matter, and I don't care. They can, they can, they can, what are they going to do, find me? Because that's the send, other thing. Send you a postcard. Yeah, that's the other thing we haven't talked about, but the, you know, the WGA one is, is like, they're coming after, I guess you, I don't know, or the producers, or I, I don't even know, to, to pay me more money, which I don't want any more money. <laughs> so because I'm in the WGA, they're claiming we spent more money than, than we did oh. or something. I, I don't even know. Yeah, I think, but, I think some of the other people involved are handling that. I'm not. I'm yeah. Not, so, I'm but anyway, it's not a great situation when you're own union, because I, I went into this and what I was going to say before is, and there's nobody to say this to. So you're shouting at the sky and I'm not trying to say, Oh, this is how desperate I am. But my feeling on this show, and I've said it to Charlie, cause we, I, I still talk to Charlie every day, which it's, it's killing me. I don't have anything fucking positive to tell him about this, but 
I said, I will do this first season for free. Not one. I mean, obviously there's minimums that you have to accept or whatever right. from the, the deal. I would do this first season 100% for free. I would write every episode. I would direct every episode and I would get the show done with the promise that if it works, you know, you I, I, I get a deal, but we haven't even had that opportunity, which is weird because I thought someone would say, you know, cause it's an expensive show. It's not cheap. We shot it on film. We shot it just like we shot entourage, which is really big and, and really cinematic. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's not like, Oh, give us a hundred thousand dollars an episode, which I think we'd be on the air if that was possible, but it isn't. So, um, well, if it was a hundred thousand dollars an episode. I would have just done it myself. <laughs> well, you should, you should do it anyway. So, but anyway, we should talk about Again, and I know we discussed it six months ago. We should talk about the idea of turning this into an independent film, I think, and have it as a as a backdoor because everything could change when the strike ends. People could need content or maybe they won't. Um, someone, like you said, could come in and all of a sudden they're running the studio. One of the people who loves this, maybe the guy who fucking never called me back, maybe he gets a good job instead of... How long did he go to jail for? Like a few years. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I mean, that was like 90, 91. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so that was a long time ago. Long time ago. Did, did that script ever go anywhere? That script sold to, um, you know, David Schwimmer, uh, friends happened and he got, um, he got a deal with Miramax. Yeah. Which nice. Horrifyingly place. enough. Well, you know, it's funny because looking back, I remember that lots of good art came out of that, but Schwimmer, his first thing he did, which was like, I think it was my, I believe it was my first script sale. He, he got that in the deal that they bought that script at Miramax. So that was one of the movies he was potentially going to make. Um, but the Paul bearer came out and didn't do oh, great. Yeah. And, and, and it didn't, you know, <laughs> again, and then everything changed that changed. And so I, that, that script just got buried somewhere that it was purchased, but it was buried. That script got buried, but what, you know, one of the Hollywood moments I remember extremely well was being at Mr. Chow's when I was like, Schwimmer was one of we my should revive that and do it. I love that script, by the way. But Schwimmer was uh, one of my best friends, and friends had hit, and all of a sudden he's this giant star. And Darren Aronofsky was a good friend of mine from AFI, yep. and, and his movie—I don't know if it was Pie Bla or the Black next Swan. one. Uh, no, I don't think it was Black Swan yet. But anyway, I went to Mister Chow's with with Harvey Weinstein and anyone to go, why didn't you fucking kill him? Why didn't you? Cause I didn't know he was a fucking rapist. I knew he was an asshole. I knew he had a big obnoxious personality, but I didn't, I didn't know all this. Cause people say that to me, you put him on the show. No, I made fun of him on the show and he threatened to kill me for it. But I had dinner, which was one of those moments in Hollywood where you really feel like, Oh my God, I missed the boat because Harvey Weinstein was kissing Schwimmer and Darren Aronofsky's ass at Mr. Chow's. And I was, I was some fucking idiot that didn't even exist at this table. I, I honestly, I remember, I remember sitting there really feeling like these are one of those moments. Wow. Two of my friends just made it. I'm never going to make it. And why am I even at this table? Because it's so humiliating how they were fawning over them. This is pre Paul bearer. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the ups and downs that you go through in this business and, and, you know, right now it does, you know, I, I do have that feeling um, that I'm kind of an outsider looking in, which is weird. Um, but I know I have a great show. I'm not delusional about it. I'm not stupid and I'm not delusional. And I know I have a great show and I know it'll only get better. So, you know, we just got to, you know, find yeah, the person I think, who believes. I think it's it's going to come down to just being patient and seeing how it all unfolds. I don't, I, I really don't think this thing is going to, you know, mothball. I, I think it's, 
I think it's got something. And maybe, you know, your friend can help us get it into the prison system as <laughs> entertainment and, and and people can spend their commissary money on he it. He will he will literally never hear my voice again. And I got a message like two days ago from him, Hey, he says hello. I'm like, that's great. I mean and I still, I mean, just Hello. for just for curiosity, I would like to hear. And by the way, that was the, that was the second person because we know Gary Goldman set us up with someone else who called the first day and said this is fucking amazing. And another guy with because there's a lot of these. By the way, there's a lot of these billionaires now that are financing film and entertainment companies. So he, you remember that in the beginning, he was another one who said don't don't go anywhere. Yeah. And then, then he then, vanished as well. Yeah. So. You start to feel like people are fucking with you. It feels like we're in the magic industry and people are just disappearing. <laughs> yeah, but it is it is what Hollywood is. And it is the people, you know, that um, that are willing to say anything before they really have any clue what the fuck they're talking about. And they throw a lot of shit at the, uh, at the wall and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. So, you know. Yeah, I have a friend who's been in this business for a long time uh, in, in different ways. And uh, his favorite phrase is, you know, Hollywoodn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it is always a tough grind. And again, I'm not trying to whine about this. I still feel like we had a great experience on this show and that we did that. And I just, you know, like, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, but the show started with Kevin and Kevin, Charlie wasn't even in it. I had written this scene for Charlie Sheen that he was going to do on the victory podcast as a audio scene. Yeah. And then it hit me like, why not somehow work this into this? So it all kind of, it all came together so nicely and yeah, the casting came together so nicely and yeah, I remember and, and the production and the production did. So that's that's what we gotta hang our hats on at this point. And Look, it, for me, by the way, regardless of how any of it turns out, certainly that week of shooting, um, it was probably one of the most rewarding weeks of my life. It it was great to be involved. Um, it was a great group of people. Uh the content was good. Everybody believed in it. Lining up that many people and getting them to all sort of march to the same tune, yeah, that is really difficult in life. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the fact that that happened, regardless of what the financial outcome is, that piece of it will always be something that I look back on fondly, regardless of all the other experiences. Yeah. And also, you know, you haven't experienced the horror of putting your money into something and being treated like trash by everybody. And, you know, Tyler, our boy who's made 15 movies can tell you about being asked to leave sets, not being listened to at all. And, you know, that was, that was what was great about this. Everybody had a voice, everybody contributed. And, uh, you know, to a man, uh, I don't think anyone who was there at the end of the week <laughs> was not thrilled that they were there. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I, I just I, that's why I I continue to have faith and believe in it because yeah. I think I think we have something that's really great, and that's also why I want to say, you know, again for Gary Goldman, Jeremy Alter, Dave Perkle, um, these guys are fucking grinding away doing jobs that they they've never done and would never be asked to do. And they are continuing to fight the fights and go through every angle, which sometimes that's what it takes because it really is. It's just one person that's got to say, you know, okay, let's go do this. So hopefully Charlie will be on uh Chuck's show. Hopefully, uh, you know, people go, Oh my God, what is Charlie Sheen doing right now? Which they should be saying. I don't, I don't get why they're not, but they're not. Yeah. And, uh, and then we'll go from there. And, uh, this podcast, We'll come back if there's something to say, you know, what, what else is there to say? You got anything else you want to at the moment? No. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like maybe we should discuss of what, you know, what the plan is on a, on a shorter feature and how to get that done. And 
Yeah, I know, think we can, I mean, we can look into all of it. I, I, me personally, I think we've got the right stuff, but, um, but I just certainly think, at some point you do say, okay, you know, can I w- keep waiting for the world to, to come to me versus, you know, it's time for me to just finish a product and put it out there. And I will say this is not switching this to a feature is not some weird, desperate move. I, I think you remember this and we never knew the budget was going to be where it was. But at the beginning I said, we need to do 90 minutes of material like three episodes, so we have them. And I don't mean you, but everybody else talked me out of that. They said it was going to be too expensive. We wouldn't be able to get the crew to work for the rates that we had. But all you have to do is look around the world and see the pieces of trash movies that are put on. And we have something. We know we've got 25 minutes of a great opening to a first act of a movie right now. And you've read... Uh, the second and third script, which I believe we would be close to 90 minutes and it would not be that much uh, to change it into a, you know, a feature slash 90 minute pilot. And then I know I like that. I have zero doubt. We'll sell it, get your money back. Whether we, whether we made a ton of money or not, I have no idea whether we ended up getting the show going because of that. I have no idea, but my belief is we would, um, so let's, we'll talk about that offline. And if we get anywhere with that, we'll come back and we'll do this again. If not, uh, I'm going to do the other podcast, which I don't know what it's going to be. I'll, I'll take calls. I'll try to bring guests on, but, uh, it will be the fact that what can I tell you? I like talking. And if you don't like listening to me, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> you don't have to because no one's paying me either way. So, uh, <laughs> I will, I will come to the action park media studios as far as victory. I honestly, cause I'm getting DMS about, I have absolutely no idea what's happening with it. I'm going to, I don't want to be funny anymore with I'm an employee. I'm an employee, but the reality is it's Kevin's company. Um, when they call me, I show up when they don't, I don't. And, uh, if, if those guys want to do it, is there something happening on victory? I I don't know. Kevin was doing a revamp and, uh, and then I I don't know. We haven't done one in two weeks, so I have Ah. absolutely no idea. But, uh, if they call me, um, I'll show up, you know, because, uh, it's a lot easier than writing speaking. So, I guess that's it. Anything Plus, you're, else not, you're not banned from speaking in this current climate, right? I don't even know. You're banned from writing. I'm definitely banned from writing, and uh, I don't know what the, the ban is on speaking now, but nobody's, nobody's going to stop me from speaking. Not You, you will fucking, not silence my Yeah, voice. you will not silence me, these fucking trolls, these <laughs> creepy fucking trolls. There's like a, and I will. I'll put a note out to all my family members to stop uh, DMing. <laughs> By the way, there's a couple <laughs> of people like, Kevin Conley needs to fire Doug Allen from victory. Okay, whoever you are, Suck my big fucking dick, you fucking loser. Okay? Well, we're, we're heading into the X-rated <laughs> portion of this conversation. I just, it's so bizarre to me. I don't think people understand how much effort and time I've put into this and how much I've tried to keep this thing together and 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 get it going and get our live shows going. And and I, I honestly, I've, I think I've made like, in the last 18 months, I've made like $3,800 doing it. So uh, I got Charlie to come do our, our Phoenix show. And I obviously put together this entire pilot, which takes you know, is on the hook for the money, but I, I put everybody together to get themselves a really good chance. And what actors always want is great film. And those guys have it. If they want to go act again, they have an amazing, amazing bunch of film that could show what they can still do and what they're capable of. So, um, so I don't, I don't know anybody a fucking thing. Okay. So except respect, which is, we all have to do to everybody. And fortunately for the most part that's occurred during this, during the show. And I don't mean this podcast, but I mean, during the, <laughs> the ramble on show. So maybe we'll be back. <laughs>